1: Just a mild warning that this podcast contains sexually explicit references that makes it unsuitable for younger listeners. Today on the Indo-Daily, male escorts, sexually explicit texts and legal wrangling in the world of Irish dancing. The normally wholesome world of Irish dancing is once again making sensational headlines, with male escorts now taking centre stage.
2: It's claimed that a number of people in the world of Irish dancing engaged the services of some male sex workers and brought them to the hotel where the competition was being held.
1: Meanwhile, personal and intimate text messages between two prominent teachers are revealed in an ongoing court case.
0: He called her mummy. So there's lots of text messages where he says, I love you, mummy, I miss my mummy, this sort of thing. Mummy is so good to me.
1: I'm Shannon Sheehan, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Ellen Coyne, special correspondent with The Irish Independent, and by Shane Phelan, legal affairs editor with The Irish Independent, to ask, has Irish dancing become dirty dancing? Ellen In a rather strange development, to say the least, in the fish-fixing scandal, we've now moved into a scenario where we're talking about male escorts being involved in this entire saga. Tell us how, why, and what on earth.
2: Yeah, so the longer we get into this story, the more I'm starting to believe that there might be no such thing as a strange development in the world of Irish dancing. So around a year ago, when the Fesh fixing allegations first emerged, I caught wind of this story that had apparently been going around the world of Irish dancing for A couple of decades. So over 20 years ago, there was a very high profile Irish dancing competition held in a hotel. A lot of senior people from uh, the world of Irish dancing were there, as well as obviously a lot of teachers, schools and competitors. It's claimed that a number of people in the world of Irish dancing engaged the services of some male sex workers and brought them to the hotel where the competition was being held. The detail only gets more colourful from there with some allegations that some uh, people from the world of Irish dancing were seen running down a hallway wearing leather shorts and masks. So the story is that apparently these male sex workers allegedly uh, did some damage to the hotel. The hotel wasn't happy about it. And it's claimed that CLRG and Comethune Le Gaelica, the kind of governing body for Irish dancing, had to cover the costs of this. Now, this has been put to, uh, to the CLRG in various shapes or forms over the last year, because when the FESH fixing scandal hit, these allegations surfaced again. Around December, CLRG decided it would take matters into its own hands and it commissioned the services of a private investigator to try to understand if there was any truth to these allegations. That uh, investigation, as I understand it, uh, started early in the new year. A lot of people from the World of Irish Dancing were approached by this investigator and asked to be interviewed. Some people were asked to hand over information to try to corroborate the claims. And I also understand that the investigator had planned to go to the All-Irelands in Killarney in February to meet some people in person. Now, the The idea was to put together a fact file. Since then, I've heard nothing. And having asked uh, CLRG about it, they're now refusing to comment on whether or not the investigation is finished. And uh, if it is finished, they're refusing to say if they will ever make the findings public or even share them with uh, members of CLRG. And I mean,
1: this is a proper investigation conducted by a retired senior Garda.
2: Yes, it's uh, Gabriel O'Gara, former Garda, who now works for Norton Consultancies, which is a company with a very good reputation that have, has been active for for a number of years in Ireland. So this wasn't kind of a, a Mickey Mouse operation. It seemed that initially, at least, CLRG wanted to to put a stop to this for for once and for all, to actually have an investigation that would decide finally if there was any truth to this. Now, it is worth saying that a number of people in the world of Irish dancing have said that this story was going around so widely that it had actually been brought to CLRG before, long, long before the FESH fixing allegations. And a lot of people kind of make the point that it was only when the troubles of the world of Irish dancing started to become public that CLRG started to be more proactive in establishing if there was any truth to this. And I think a few, few people would kind of argue that, you know, CLRG has a Cush to FARA, an ethics committee, and they believe that if, You know, an investigation into this, if it was to happen, should have happened long ago. I was trying to follow this up myself and investigate it myself. And like the hotel has changed hands. It's owned by a completely different company. The staff are long gone. Um, At the time, the CLRG wasn't kind of filing public company records. So if there was a payment from CLRG to the hotel to cover for the damage, there's no record of it. I won't have any access to it. Like over 20 years have passed. So It's kind of difficult at this stage to see how you would establish it. And my understanding is one of the people who allegedly had most of the knowledge of the allegations has since passed away. It's impossible to say at this point if the investigation found anything or if the investigation maybe hit a brick wall and found that a lot of people who might have had knowledge of this might have actually moved on from Irish dancing or just might not be available for interview.
1: Apart from that original incident, then there's another one a decade ago.
2: Yeah, so a decade later, there was another allegation fairly similar to the first one. Um, A big Irish dancing competition in a very fancy hotel. Obviously, you know, dozens, hundreds of people from Irish dancing in the hotel at the time. Uh, The difference is that this time it was alleged that just one person Uh, was seen uh, kind of employing the services of a a male sex worker. And apparently this sex worker was brought into uh, kind of the bar where a lot of people from Irish dancing were kind of gathered And uh, there are claims that there are a few eyewitnesses, people who are still around, still active in the world of Irish dancing, who saw this person and it's claimed that one person, you know, pulled up their phone and quickly identified this person on a a local escort website in the particular city that the competition was being held in. So that was also supposed to be investigated by uh, this private investigator. But at the moment, CLRG is kind of withholding any information on whether or not... Uh, that investigation is complete Um, and I suppose I'm kind of scratching my head now wondering why you would spend what I'm sure is not an insignificant amount of money on a very well-respected private eye if you didn't want to share it with the rest of your organization and I suppose put these rumors to bed because though a lot of time has passed since the alleged instance the rumors are very much enduring and as soon as the the cheating allegations came to light a lot of people were trying to direct journalists' attentions towards these these two stories as well the one alleged incident over a decade ago and the other one uh, alleged to have happened over 20 years ago
1: yeah you you'd assume that if an investigation that thorough was carried out and found nothing that you would want to at least reassure your your stakeholders and people in the organization that there's nothing to this it's a merely urban myth
2: Exactly. And I suppose the two things that I'm kind of wondering is, was there something in the investigation that uh, CLRG doesn't want to communicate? Or more importantly, was it, did it turn out to be a waste of time? Like, were people not willing to be interviewed? Were people not available to be interviewed? I know when I was trying to follow up on these stories, there was a lot of people who just really didn't want to talk to me about it at all. So um, it's kind of hard to understand why, if CLRG is on this big kind of mission to rehabilitate itself, kind of clean up its image, have this whole cultural change, bringing in these fancy PR people and consultants and whatnot, um, why they wouldn't want to make this a part of it, or why they wouldn't at least have the candor to say, yeah, the investigation is done. No, the investigation isn't done. Yes, we will be sharing it with you. No, we won't. I suppose, once again, kind of in the frustrating uh, position where very basic, understandable questions are going into CLRG and the response is like, they seem to be nearly offended that any of us are having the cheek to ask them.
1: Presumably there are w- or would be legal repercussions out of such a report if it was to to make uh, f- findings of fact and uh, implicate anybody in such the latest allegations?
2: Yes, but my understanding is that uh, some of the people involved in these allegations remain involved in the world of Irish dancing and I imagine that they would have been approached before this was commissioned. And I I would hope that the CLRG would have the common sense to make sure that the most important people in this story would be cooperating with it. Um, The thing about the world of Irish dancing is that it's very porous and gossipy. So while the media is very careful about how we report these things, because obviously they remain... Allegations. There's a very active online Irish dancing community who are never really, never really troubled themselves with the ins and outs of defamation.
1: Take us back then to the, the central allegations of of fish fixing, and there was a number of judges um, came under scrutiny here when these allegations emerged. There was a a, a, a review carried out. Where is that at at the moment?
2: So, uh, the allegations first emerged over a year ago. Initially, it was 12 Irish dancing teachers and judges. Then more allegations came forward, in my understanding, is there was only over 40 people who were pla- facing disciplinary action. First of all, all those people were suspended while they were facing disciplinary action. But then following a court case, those suspensions were lifted. Uh, CLRG said that basically it didn't have the money to fight everyone who was trying to uh, legally challenge the suspension. So earlier on this year, uh, inter- uh, external kind of HR experts, uh, people who would have, I suppose, the new to carry out disciplinary inquiries, were uh, were hired by CLRG because they wanted to keep these disciplinary processes as independent and external as possible. Books of evidence were handed to all of the people before the summer, and then at the end of August, the the hearings started. Now these were these hearings were quite involved. They have to do over forty of them. Some of them can be quite difficult. My understanding is they can run for eight, nine, or ten hours, and they can be quite grueling. But um, while CLRG is refusing to announce the the results of any of them at this time, my understanding is that a number of people, including a number of the original twelve who were accused of fish fixing, have now been found that there is no case against them for gross misconduct, and they will not be facing any um, any kind of suspensions or any kind of disciplinary action as a result of the disciplinary hearings. Um, And as you can imagine, this is causing a little bit of, it's causing a fair bit of chatter in the world of Irish dancing at the moment after everything that's happened over the last year.
1: Yeah, how is it going down? Are people disappointed? Do they just feel that it has run its course?
2: The world of Irish dancing is very cutthroat and very complex. And a lot of people were saying that when this uh, controversy first surfaced, oodles of people were coming out and saying oh sure we all knew we all knew there's a cheating problem in Irish dancing it's been an open secret for god knows how many years and people were kind of saying well if this was a cultural thing where supposedly everyone was at it why is it that just a select couple of dozen of people have kind of been made the the scapegoat and my understanding is that over the course of the last year a lot of these people have been getting a lot significant amounts of abuse uh, they've been isolated their their dance schools have suffered they've suffered a loss of earnings from the brief period in time when they were suspended and i suppose there's a lot of anger and animosity at how all of this has played out um so so even like on the side of some of the people who were accused of cheating naturally they feel uh they're delighted. They're very happy that it's been found that, you know, they've been basically cleared of alleged fish fech- fixing. They're very angry at, um, at just what's happened over the course of the last year. And could some of these
1: judges take legal action, I mean, effectively saying allegations were made. These did not stand up. They were false. This damaged my reputation and my financial standing.
2: And my understanding is that some of the people who have been cleared are are already actively considering that. And that would be pr- a pretty big deal for CLRG. So earlier this year, uh, Amanda Hennigan, who was one of the original 12 accused of fetch fixing. Uh, took CLRG to court. Uh, She argued against her suspension successfully and her suspension was lifted. So then everyone else who was also suspended felt that they had a similar case and the CLRG immediately backed down because they said that they couldn't afford to fight and lose all of those cases. Um, And, you know, it's not, it is a a big organization in terms of global impact, cultural impact, but it's not a big organization uh, financially. It's actually run by volunteers. So, if for you were to have, say, even just um, the lion's share of the original 12 take cases, you know, if, if they're all cleared, that would be really financially significant to CLRG. And I, I would struggle to see how would they would have the funds to kind of manage and fight all of those cases, which then would have a huge knock-on effect on the world of Irish dancing. But absolutely, the people who have been accused and have been cleared feel that they have been that they've been subjected to significant online abuse and reputational damage over the course of the last year.
1: Shane, you had told us a few weeks ago about a court case taking place in the US, and this was between Megan McGough, who's the owner of a very successful Irish dancing school in America, and she had a British-Irish dancing teacher, Jamie Hodges, and there was a a legal row going on there. Just recap us on that.
0: Yeah, so the link, I suppose, between this lawsuit and, and the fish fixing is, is purely down to to one of the people involved, uh, Megan McGough, who, who runs a dance academy in uh, New York, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. She has been identified, I suppose, in un, in unrelated court proceedings, as the original complainant to the Commission larinki Gaelica about alleged fish fixing. The dispute that's uh, occurring in the states is uh, it, it's basically it's an unlawful dismissal case that Jamie Hodges has taken against uh, Megan McGough. Uh, he claims that he was was sacked by her last January after he rebuffed uh, repeated un, unwanted advances from her. Um, he claims that she was repeatedly demanding uh, sex from him, and uh, we would have spoken about this a couple of weeks ago when the when the we first wrote about the lawsuit in the Irish Independent. Since then. A development: Megan McGough has filed a defence. Not only has she filed a defence, uh, she's also filed a counterclaim as well, saying that look, far from this being a case of her uh, pursuing him for sex, that that it was actually Jamie Hodges who pursued her, seduced her. She's filed this counterclaim against him. So she has evidence, basically, to back up her claim. Uh, she does. Uh, text messages have, I suppose, form quite a, a large part of the the claims and counterclaims here. Jamie Hodges has a, has a load of WhatsApp messages he says shows that she was relentlessly pursuing him. And um, she has a load of text messages which she says show that n- not only was this consensual,
1: but he was constantly uh, pursuing her. Now, what can you tell us about these very personal and intimate text messages that were sent between them?
0: A lot of them are affectionate. Some of them are quite sexually explicit. And they go on for a long time. So there's they they span a a couple of years. One feature of them, I suppose, is that uh, Hodges on uh, Megan McGough's account had a a nickname for her. He called her Mummy. And so there's lots of text messages where he says, I love you, Mummy. I miss my Mummy. This sort of thing. Uh, Mummy is so good to me. And there's lots of them that she's outlined in, in an affidavit she's filed part for counterclaim she says that he texted her saying the more you push me away the more I want you you know things in
1: that vein uh, in the, among the text messages So there is effect claim and counterclaim both sides have got their arguments to, to back up their case but on the flip side there is evidence coming on the other side that's, that contradicts what they're saying
0: Yeah and some of the allegations that Megan McGough is making in her counterclaim are, are really quite serious. I mean, she's claiming, for example, that uh, uh, Jamie Hodges threatens to publish intimate images of her online if she didn't leave her husband, that he also made this threat to her that if she didn't pay him a uh, million dollars. She's also claiming that a week after he filed this lawsuit against her that he made a report of sexual harassment against her to police in uh, in Pennsylvania. And that uh, the, the claim being made uh, by lawyers on, on her behalf is that he did this to try and gain an advantage in the civil action. She claims that they, uh, you know, began this cons- consensual affair in uh, in 2019. It went on until about January of this year that at various stages, he was uh, trying to get her to, to leave her husband and to marry him instead. There's one of the text messages that's um, referred to in the affidavit and, and it purports purportedly from Jamie Hodges to Megan McGoffin and it says leave your husband or I'll sue. And um, she she says, look, this is evidence that this was a, a, a you know all premeditated by him that he was he was to take this
1: lawsuit, which she claims is you know a false lawsuit basically. So we have the plaintiffs side. we have the defendant side. Are you booking flights for New York for a, a fairly sensational court case here? Uh, not just yet. Court has urged
0: the parties to mediate. um it it's it's almost an automatic thing in the in the district that they're in. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see whether there actually is any mediation uh, uh, battle lines are 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 very clearly drawn here. So we have all these text messages suggesting one thing happened and that there was some sort of relationship. and by Me- on Megan McGoff's accounts that he was pursuing her. But when we spoke to Jamie Hodges about this a couple of weeks ago, he didn't want to comment about the lawsuit, but what he did say was that he never had any form of relationship at all with Megan McGough. So, you know, clearly somewhere, someone here hasn't
1: told the full story. My thanks to Shane Phelan and Ellen Coyne. I'm Fiona Shane, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Garrett Mulhall, researched by Dave Hanratty, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. We're offering Indo-Daily listeners 50% off an Irish independent digital subscription. Head over to independent.ie forward slash redeem to sign up for unlimited access to premium content, e-paper, puzzles and more. Just enter the code INDO, that's I-N-D-O, to
2: receive 50% off your subscription. Stay informed and engaged. Subscribe today.